Shukuna. I found something the other day. I thought this was so good. I'm going to share it with you. It doesn't really have anything to do with the message, but this is so, so true. Human beings are of four types. A man who knows and knows that he knows. This is the scholar, so learn from him. A man who knows but does not know that he knows. This one has forgotten, so remind him. A man who does not know and knows that he does not know. This one is a student, so teach him. A man who does not know and does not know that he does not know and isn't interested in knowing, this one is an idiot, so reject him. <laughs> How many of you know somebody like that? I, that? They don't know and they don't know that they don't know and they are just a bore. I thought that was just, that was great. All right, Jonah chapter 1. Uh, we're, we're now at the place where they have cast the lots. They found that Jonah is in trouble, uh, the, the trouble of the ship. When Jonah got on the ship in Joppa, he certainly didn't expect to leave the ship as he would end up leaving the ship. He expected to walk off the ship in Tarshish. This is not going to happen because he's thrown off the ship into the sea. And strange as it may seem, this was done by his own orders. I was helping my daughter today in college, and uh, she's suddenly has a new respect for my knowledge. It's interesting. She calls me when she runs up against, I have a question I can't answer. One of the questions was that, um, was uh, the, the uh, veracity of the Bible or, or something like that. But, uh, so I was work, talking her through some. But, but the Bible, there's a lot of it. You can't make this stuff up. I mean, this is just, this is so unique the way the Lord works. So by his own orders, he's going to be thrown off the ship. The path of disobedience often looks promising, but it is always turns out to be a bitter experience. And sooner or later, disobedience shows its real self uh, to the sorrow of the wayward one, and it comes home to roost. So sin, as we talk about much, does not advertise truthfully. It talks about how nice it is in Tarshish. You should go to Tarshish, get away from what your responsibilities are, but it never talks about the storm at the sea that you're going to go through and the result uh, being that you're thrown overboard. Beware of the devil's travel agents. They advertise Tarshish when God is talking Nineveh and they want to get you in a different direction than what you're supposed to go. Tonight we're going to see that Jonah came up with a desperate scheme as a solution to his disobedience. If we start at verse number 12, of Jonah chapter 1, and he said unto them, Take me up and cast me forth into the sea, so shall the sea be calm unto you, for I know that for my sake this great tempest is upon you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to bring it to land, but they could not, for the sea wrought and was temp temp tempestuous against them. Wherefore they cried unto the Lord and said, We beseech thee, O Lord, we beseech thee, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not upon us innocent blood, for thou, O Lord, hast done as it pleased thee. By the way, all of those words, O Lord, are now Jehovah. If you've noticed, they've changed who they're praying to. I think that's interesting. So they took up Jonah and cast him forth into the sea, and the sea ceased from her raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly and offered a sacrifice unto the Lord and made vows. Father, I pray you'd help us this evening. Use this to challenge us in Jesus' name. Amen. 
We see uh, initial resistance to Jonah's scheme, the answer to it. And it's rare that a convicted criminal comes up with a stronger sentence for himself than the judge and the jury does, but that's what happens here. When the sailors ask Jonah to give them a sentence for his crime, he says, cast me forth into the sea. This is a death sentence, or it would be, and so uh, it was uh, too much for the sailors. True, Jonah was the reason for their troubles. He was the reason the storm came upon them. They've just realized that. But you can say one thing about these sailors. Again, we talked about their giving him a, a proper trial, basically. Uh, they seemed to be pretty decent men. And their leniency wasn't just talk. They actually acted on it. They put a lot of effort in trying to save Jonah. The Bible says they rode hard in verse number 13. And sincere, they sincerely tried to save him. But sincerity, it's a good thing unless it's apart from God's will. Unless it's apart what we're supposed to do. They were sincere, but they were going against God's will, which was spoken through Jonah. Sincerity, no matter how great it is, will never compensate for what God wants us to do. Sincerity is no test of truth. You may take poison sincerely believing it is medicine and it will still kill you. Sincerity doesn't, is no substitute for truth. Uh, and you'll hear that a lot today taught by many people that uh, the path to God is it doesn't matter what you take as long as you're sincere. We can be sincerely wrong. Uh, I have uh, at least two friends who sincerely believe that the earth is flat. Sincerely. Doesn't make it true. Uh, we can be sincere about it. I have a lot of family that's sincerely Amish still. That doesn't mean it's true. Doesn't mean it's the way. So sincerity is not, doesn't mean truth. But these sailors tried rowing for land. And by the way, this tells us that the ship was not far from land. In fact, the Bible suggests that it was uh, caught in the storm not many miles from land. Uh, pulpit commentary says that uh, just off the Joppa Harbor, Seas are liable to sudden and unexpected storms which stir up a tumultuous sea in a very short time. So the effort here, they were trying to get to land to save Jonah. Uh, and by the way, what they were doing to save Jonah is even a stronger rebuke to Jonah himself and his attitude toward Nineveh. Jonah was to these sailors what Nineveh was to Israel, a threat to them. That's what Jonah was. And yet these sailors tried to save him. Jonah did nothing to try to save Nineveh. It, isn't it a sad thing when the world's people care more about people than God's people? And yet that's what happens here. The sailors showed more concern for the physical well-being of Jonah than Jonah cared for the spiritual well-being of the people in Nineveh. How often we do that in our life as well, uh, care for this physical, ignoring the spiritual. Churches have this problem. Uh, even even some of churches in town, we, we're very careful as we help people that we always hit the spiritual first. We will help with electric bills sometimes, or we will help with some groceries at times, but it, it isn't without uh, doing some counseling, uh, giving them a witness. They have to come to a service, and uh, so we're trying to help spiritually because we're not a social organization. We're a spiritual organization, even though we do want to be a help to people. So it's not a sin to help with the material, but we should never do that at the cost of the soul. The Bible says in verse 13, they could not bring the ship to land. How often an organization, or a church we could say as well, struggles to succeed with a Jonah on board and uh, somebody that's holding them back. You can try your dead level best to do the work of God, 
But if you're unwilling to deal with a dissident Jonah, on it, whether it's in an organization or in a church or in a family, uh, then, then success is going to be very difficult to get to. Proverbs 22.10, Cast out the scorner, and the contention will, uh, shall go out. Yea, strife and reproach shall cease. And there are times that Jonah must go. Uh, they, that they have to be moved out. And the sailors here they worked very hard doing good deeds, rowing the boat. But these works that they were doing did not save them. They had to put their faith, get this, they had to put their faith in the message that one shall die so the others might be saved. Does that sound familiar? It's the same thing we see in salvation theology. And you leave Jesus Christ as a, a, the one way of salvation. You leave that out, then we're all, uh, then you're not going to be able to come to salvation. So finally, there was submission to the scheme here. They submitted, they, verse 15, took up Jonah and cast him forth into the sea. I, I try to picture things uh, when, when I read these stories. This had to be a traumatic thing. Got a couple, three, four men picking him up. Uh, have you ever done that to kids? We do that to kids sometimes. Pick our little kids up. We're going to throw you, you know, and swing them out. Ah, here's what they did. They chucked him out into an ocean into the sea with the storm going on. It would have been traumatic to see him uh, land out in the water, splash in, disappear beneath its waves. It would have been really something, though, as soon as he disappeared beneath the waves, the sea calm, wind stopped. That would be chilling, wouldn't it? Um, Notice three important things involved in their submission. We see the faith. Because submission in God's way... Uh, submission to God's way comes from faith in God's way. Still today, if we're going to submit to God, we're going to have faith in His way. The sailors were not saved until they believed the message of deliverance by Jonah. All this time they're talking, the storm's still going on. Salvation comes the same way. We have to believe the message of the gospel we're saved, but notice that these sailors were not saved. Their faith required action before the results would occur. The storm's still going. Jonah had to be thrown overboard before the storm would cease. And uh, Jonah didn't jump overboard. They had to throw him overboard. And when they did that, uh, they were able to be saved. Lack of submission to the will of God reflects a lack of faith in the Word of God. If we don't believe what the book says, we won't do what God says. My God shall supply all your needs in Christ Jesus, according to His riches in Christ Jesus. If we don't believe it, we're not going to tithe. We're not going to give. Uh, if we don't believe the promises of God, then we won't do the will of God. And so faith in God is very important to be able to do the will of God. We show our unbelief by our disobedience. Disobedience really is a form of showing our unbelief in God. Why don't we obey God? Because we don't believe what He says. And if we believe what He says, we'll do what He says. The, the, so there is faith. There's also praying I think this is interesting. When the sailors saw the futility of their own efforts, they cried unto the Lord. Prayer is a tremendous asset to life, and it helps us submit to God's way. A person who does not pray much will not submit much. And prayer is so lacking in our Christian lives today. And so uh, the submission and prayer, they go hand in hand. But notice the person they prayed to. I mentioned this a minute ago, but look at verse 14. Uh, cried unto the Lord. Uh, this the original is Jehovah. Uh, they are now praying to the right person. 
Calling on Jehovah for deliverance all of a sudden means that somewhere here their theology has changed. <laughs> Obviously, the power of the storm helped when Jonah said, yeah, I serve the real God and he sent this. Yeah, if he can send this, I'm pretty sure he's the real God. It's, it didn't take much convincing for them to see that. And so they made this, they this conversion about who they prayed to now. And uh, they prayed to the true deliverer, the one who uh, is Jehovah. They also didn't only... Not not only the person they prayed to, but the passion they prayed with. They, it uses words like they cried and they beseeched there. Uh, James said the fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. James 5.16, that's the one that's effective. Without fervency, our prayer will be a study in futility. So look at what the sailors prayed. Let us not perish for this man's life. Lay not in upon us innocent blood. The problem here is false guilt. This happens sometimes. Sometimes we get a false guilt by doing what God tells us to do. On the other hand, uh, men sometimes feel little or no guilt about disobeying God in every possible way either. And that's because our society is often confused about where and when guilt should exist. Is guilt a bad thing? We talk about this a lot in discipleship. Is guilt good or bad? If you ask that great theologian, Oprah, I don't have her commentary yet, probably won't get her commentary, but if you ask Oprah, guilt is always a bad thing. But guilt is not always a bad thing. Sometimes guilt is a good thing. We need guilt when we do wrong. Uh, I think a great dividing line is, is, is 1 John 1, 9, if thou shalt confess with thy mouth, uh, he's not, he'll cleanse us and forgive us. Uh, up to that point, guilt is always from God. Satan doesn't want you to get right. God does. So up to confession, it's always God. After confession, now God says, I'll remove your sin. I'll remember them no more. I'll put them in the deepest sea. I'll remove them as far as the east is from the west. Guilt after your sin is always from the devil. That's bad guilt. Up, up to confession, I didn't mean before your sin, I meant before your confession. Uh, guilt before confession is always God. That's good guilt. But a lot of times we sin, we confess it, God forgives us, and we still beat ourselves up. That's God. That's not God. That's the devil. So that's bad guilt. That'll help you determine which one is good and bad. Uh, but look also at the peace. Verse 15, as soon as they did what they're supposed to do, the sea ceased from a raging. How quickly we transition from the impossible to the possible when we just obey. I wonder if even in this room or those listening online, if uh, there aren't some lives who are in the middle of raging seas right now. And what does it take for the sea to cease from her raging? Obedience. Submission to God, it'll help a lot. They tried desperately to bring peace to their troubled situation, but only when they obeyed what God said to do. And we're, I'm equating what Jonah said was what God wanted them to do. Then the sea ceased from her raging. Only then did they have peace. Peace comes from obedience and submission to God's will. Peace does not come in our own efforts. All right, very quickly here afterwards, throwing Jonah into the sea had a tremendous effect. As a result, look at what they said here in verse 16. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly and offered a sacrifice unto the Lord and made vows. Uh, they had ver three very important ingredients for a good worship service because they had an old-fashioned revival on this ship, it looks like. And, I mean, who wouldn't? Remember what the disciples? After they had been with Jesus for months and months, and Jesus calmed the storm, and they, the men says they feared and wondered exceedingly. That's after they knew what Jesus could do. Here were these men, which were pagans, and they saw this. 
experienced sailors. This was not something they had seen before. Imagine. So they had a revival service, and they had three ingredients for a good worship service. Number one, they feared the Lord exceedingly. That's the motivation for worship. Then they offered a sacrifice unto the Lord. That's verification of worship. And then it says they made vows. That's a consecration from worship. These three ingredients are also found uh, written in Psalm by Asaph, Psalm 76-11. Vow and pay unto the Lord your God. Let all that be round about him bring presence unto him that ought to be feared. We see all three of them uh, elements of worship in that verse as well. So let's break all three of them down very quickly. Number one, the motivation, fear. This played a big part in their worship. When the, It's interesting. You see three times the sailors were afraid. Uh, the first time in, in verse 5, when the storm came up, they were afraid. And then in verse 10, during the dialogue with Jonah, they were exceedingly afraid. And then here they said they feared God exceedingly. The first one happened when the storm came up, and that was a fleshly fear. The other two times was the proper kind of fear. Because we ought not fear man or what man can do to us. Jesus himself said, fear the one that can put your body in hell, soul in hell, not just the ones that can just harm your body. So we ought not fear man, but we ought to fear God, and yet most of us have no fear of God, and we fear man and circumstances. It gets very backwards. So they had the proper attitude toward God, and worship always involves a proper attitude toward God. Chuck Colson said, People who have no fear of God soon have no fear of man and no respect for human laws and authority. Look at our society today. You watch the riots in cities lately? No fear of God. No fear of man. No fear of laws, authority, nothing. That's why the Bible says in Proverbs 1, 7, the, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. And uh, fools, fools despise wisdom and instruction. When we're motivated by this fear of God, we're going to be worshiping with a holy motivation. And that's what's happening to these soldiers here, uh, soldiers, sailors here on this ship. Secondly, the verification. Worship is inward and it is outward as well. The fear of the Lord is an attitude of the heart. It's, it's the inward part, and that is important for our worship. But making a sacrifice unto the Lord is outward. It's an outward verification of what is in the heart. Since the sailors feared the Lord, the, uh, we should not be surprised that they sacrificed unto the Lord. And I have a question. What did they sacrifice? If you remember, they've chucked everything overboard, <laughs> or a lot of things they've chucked overboard. They only have, presumably... What's the most valuable left, what they couldn't afford to lose? They sacrificed it to the Lord. They, and, and again, the fear of the Lord leads us not to be surprised that they sacrificed. Uh, they were, it was so great that they would give what they had left. And I, I tell you what, today, people that fear the Lord, you don't have to twist their arm to get them to tithe and to give and to be faithful with their time to the, to the uh, church. And by the way, when we talk about Sacrifices, not only money. You know, we ought to be in church when it's open. We ought to be serving God with our with our uh, resources, our talents, our gifts. All those things we ought to be giving the Lord. And so, uh, if we fear God, that's not going to be a problem. Uh, as we say in discipleship as well, if He owns our heart, He'll have our wallet. We won't hold that back if He has our heart. And then, uh, thirdly, the consecration from worship. 
the, the, uh, the text here says that they made vows. wonder what the vows were. Uh, maybe they said, we're not going to curse like sailors anymore. I don't know. I mean, I've never been around any sailors, but I've heard that term the, most of my life, so I know it's probably something to it that people talk like sailors. Uh, maybe they vowed to forsake their unholy habits. Maybe they vowed to tell others about the wonders of God. Maybe they vowed to be more honest in their business dealings. I don't know what they vowed, but I do know this, that a genuine worship service will have a huge effect on one's life. Uh, man, we just came out of a tremendous pastor's conference. I know some of you are here for it. It was just, it was just amazing. The best one we've had by far so far, not to diminish the other ones, but this was just a really, really good. God showed up and he did some things in people's hearts. And uh, it has an effect on you. In fact, if you attend a worship service and it has no effect on you, it was either a pretty bad worship service or you had a bad attitude. One of the two is true. And, and you probably more the latter because I've been to some... My father-in-law uh, taught, always said this a lot, that you can get something from every message. Now, there's two types of messages that I hear that really make me want to preach. When somebody is just tearing it up, it makes me want to get up and preach. I mean, if they're just doing a great job, or if somebody does a horrible job, I want to push them aside and get up and preach, okay? Those are the two times. You, but but uh, it doesn't matter who it is. There's always something you can get. They'll say something, or nothing else. The Holy Spirit will give you something that you can take from it. You can learn something from everyone. Uh, but So usually it's more your attitude. But if you want to live a... Uh, if you go to a genuine God-honoring worship service where the Word is preached, it'll make you want to live a more godly, more consecrated life for the Lord. It'll make a difference in your life. And by the way, uh, I hope that that's the type of services we have, amen, where we're challenged to do more for the Lord. That's my goal. That's my desire. Now, the vow time, where it says they made vows, we can equate that to the altar call that we have in church at the end of the service. And uh, we preach, and then we have an altar call, and that's the time we go and make our commitments to the Lord. And, and uh, invitations are given to urge a person to make a vow, or a decision, or a commitment, however you want to word it. At the end of the service, we come forward. Some people might come forward, like last Sunday, uh, or the Sunday before this last, where six people walked the aisle for salvation, one in the evening service walked the aisle for salvation. That's a blessing. Uh, and they made that decision. Others may come uh, to just make a commitment in their heart, and uh, in their giving or in their forsaking an ev a bad habit or to give their certain areas of their life to God, those, those type of commitments we make. By the way, uh, if you do that, which I hope you do, if you haven't been up to the altar for a long time, um, examine your heart, whether it's tender. You know, we ought to, we ought to respond when God speaks to us. But uh, we, when you do that, if you come up, say, Lord, I'm, I'm too angry. i got to deal with my anger. I'm going to make a commitment to you right now to help me not to be angry. Uh, probably before you get to your car, you're going to have opportunities thrown at you because Satan will fight. A commitment you make up here, you're entering a battle. And uh, it's, it's a serious thing. The devil does not like seeing people at the altar. I, I believe that well in my heart. By the way, the only thing that makes the devil tremble is a Christian on his knees because it's not our, it's not our bravado or it's not our bragging that scares him. But we get on our knees, then we're a threat to him. And so uh, he's going to fight that. So it was an amazing day for the sailors. 
a day of days in their lives. They, Jonah, running from the Lord, God sends a storm, and Jonah gets chucked overboard, leaving a boat full of missionaries, essentially, praising and serving God. Only God can do these things. Again, it's an amazing thing. We don't hear of them again. They're never mentioned in the Bible. We don't know what happened to them. It'd be interesting. I, those are the type of questions I'd like to ask in heaven one day. Uh, you know, it wouldn't be neat to run into somebody and say, I was one of those sailors on Jonah's ship. Uh, I don't, we don't know what happened to them after that. We do know that the last we hear of them, they're fearing God, they're making sacrifices, they're making vows, and this speaks well of them. It was a storm in their lives that improved their relationship with God. They could say with the psalmist, it is good that I have been afflicted, Psalm 119. And I would to God that all of us, when storms come into our lives, it would improve our relationship with God. We can become bitter, angry, or we can become better and closer to Him. It ought to draw us closer to God when storms come into our lives. And it's interesting here that these men, I mean, I'm assuming the, they, I'm assuming they became believers because the Bible says they were sacrificing and fearing God. That's a tremendous thing. So, uh, interesting day in the lives of these sailors, and they had some serious, uh, interesting story to tell after that. I wonder if they ever got the rest of the story. You know, that guy we chucked overboard, he's preaching over in Nineveh. I don't know if they ever got the rest of it. Again, questions we have to ask later, amen. But I uh, hope that that's a challenge to you, some of those things that we can learn from them. We ask you, Father, to use this passage.